0: Good morning, Mission View Church. If you have your Bible
1: apps or your Bibles, go with me to Colossians, the New Testament book of Colossians. We're going to start looking at Colossians uh, over the next couple weeks. I was exhausted. I was incredibly tired. I just made the drive from Tampa, Florida to Vicksburg, Mississippi. I'd spent the entire week there with 50 students, and it was just an incredible, incredible trip. And yet, I was just thoroughly exhausted. To make matters worse, after we got home, one of our students was involved in a car accident. It was nothing serious, but just having to keep tabs on that. And and finally, late Friday night, my wife and I just sat down on the couch, and we were finally just going to watch some TV before we went to bed. And I sat down on the couch and before I knew it, I wasn't watching anything because I was fast asleep only to be awakened when I felt something hit me in the face and I woke up. And when I got married, I inherited two cats that I hate. (laughs) And one of them is a glutton for punishment and she loves me. And she's not the cat who'd wake me up. There's another cat who is the spawn of Satan. Her name is Gypsy. She's my wife's favorite. And she shares my immense dislike. We hate one another. It's a beautiful arrangement. And there I was, asleep, she in my wife's lap, my wife watching all of this as Gypsy took her tail and just continued to hit me in the face until I woke up. I pushed her off my wife's lap and said, I'm going to bed. And that's what I did. And my wife went to bed, and a couple hours later, I was scared to death. I started hearing a rustling noise. I was the only man in Mississippi who didn't own a gun at the time. And I'm like, oh, this is not good. And being delirious and yet really tired and yet knowing that somebody is trying to break in, I quietly wake up my wife, not wanting to freak her out, but not wanting her to scream. I kind of put my hand over her mouth but not all the way over her mouth so that she could wake up in fear in the same way I woke up. And and she looks at me and I'm like, get your phone, dial 911, don't call but be ready to. She got her phone, she's like looking around like what's wrong and you got this confused look on her face and my adrenaline's going. And I'm wide awake. And I am ready to take on a perpetrator. I am ready to throw down in my house. And I've got my wife ready to call 911. It's dialed, she hasn't hit send. And I creep over to the bedroom door. And I get behind the bedroom door so in a way that when I open the bedroom door I can jump out after the attacker and just hit him with the right hook and the surprise of all the power that this arm can punch, it's gonna be incredible. And so I'm I'm making symbols to Brooke, but the room's dark, so she probably didn't see any of this. But I'm like, you know, I'm in Jason Bourne mode here, and you, you have no idea what you've encountered when you break into my house, or you try to break into my house. You are going down. Now I have a gun, I'll just shoot you. But I'm like, all right. And so I count to three. Again, it's dark. Brooke probably sees none of this. One. I open the door. I reach out to punch somebody. I just fall over because I've lost my balance. I feel something run by me. I'm like, call the police! (laughs) And I look over on the bed and it's Gypsy. She somehow got out of the room that we locked her in and she was just trying to see Brooke who'd been gone for an entire week. My wife's 12 pound cat was the intruder that I was freaking out about and I had 911 on dial for all because she just wanted to lick my wife's face at 3 o'clock in the morning. You know, sometimes in life we encounter danger and it turns out to be a cat that we hate. And sometimes in life we encounter danger that's a legitimate threat. Thank God that that wasn't the case that evening. As we look at the book of Colossians, what we need to understand is that the reason that the Apostle Paul wrote Colossians was because the church at Colossae was encountering a very real danger. A very real threat was underway within the church at Colossae. Understand this book was written around 60 to 62 AD. So nearly 30 years after Christ has has. Raised from the dead, an event we look back and celebrated last week at Easter, nearly 30 to 32 years after that time, and Christ then ascends to heaven, the church at Colossae is functioning. But within the church at Colossae, there is danger. One of the dangers is there is tensions at the church in Colossae between Jews and Gentiles. And the Jews and Gentiles are struggling with the idea of, of circumcision. And they're struggling with the observance of Old Testament rituals and laws. And we'll see that as we unfold the book of Colossians in the weeks to come. But an even more dangerous and more prevalent threat meeting the church at Colossae was a, was a philosophy. And the philosophy was Gnosticism. And, and understand, here's, here's what Gnosticism is. It's the philosophy that God is good, but matter is evil. In Gnosticism, the physical world in which we live is represented by the lower world, which is associated with matter, flesh, time, and more particularly, an imperfect world. The world of God is represented by the upper world and is associated with the soul and perfection. The world of God is eternal and not part of the physical. It is impalpable and timeless. So this is what Gnosticism is all about, and this is what's raging in the church. And if you hear that and you're like, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is this, with the theme of matter being evil and God not being present and involved in this world, but being present and involved in an upper world, a more advanced world, this led them to deny the divinity of Jesus, who is fully God and fully man. So within that context, the book of Colossians is written, and we begin. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace to you from God our Father. Now, I, I want you just to, just to stop right there, and we can gloss over these greetings, because a lot, of, a lot of Pauline greetings in his writings are very similar. They all seem to follow a similar format, and they're, they're all alike, and so we can just gloss over it. But, but before we do that, I want us to really just pause and really grasp this as he's talking about Timothy, and Timothy, our brother. To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. Understand, church, that there needs to be a family dynamic with which we operate. There needs to be a family dynamic in how we see one another. And how we deal with one another. And how we react to one another. That needs to be present. This is one of the reasons why being a part of a church is so important. Because it's a family. And in, in, in within, within even the local context, there's even a closeness that even, that even an intimacy that extends, that cannot extend on the global church. Yes, as a global church, we are all brothers and sisters, but it, it gets even closer within the local context. And this is how we need to deal with one another. And I don't know about you, but when I, when I think about brotherly love, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trapped by these ideas of, of just constant peace and that everything's always great. The person I've disagreed with more in my life and I've attacked more in my life and I've physically accosted more in my life than anybody else has been my sister. We have fought more than anybody else. We've hit each other more than anybody, a lot more than anybody else. We've gotten in more arguments just, and why? Because there's that family dynamic. And yes, at this point in my life, I no longer, when I'm upset with her, walk up to her and punch her. I'm tempted sometimes, but I no longer do that. We've grown and we've matured beyond that. But understand within this family dynamic, this isn't just saying, oh, we always need to just sing kumbaya around a campfire with one another. No, if anything, this dynamic demands that we, that we confront one another that we challenge one another, and yes, that we love one another with passion and with concern, and we stand beside one another. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Man, prayer is difficult. Let me just say, it is incredibly, incredibly difficult. It is a discipline, and it can get easier with time, but prayer is an incredibly difficult discipline. And what happens, because it's difficult, because sometimes we feel like none of our prayers are being answered, because it feels like it doesn't make any difference at all, what happens is we subtly stop praying. And when we stop praying, what happens is there's a very subtle shift within our lives that we oftentimes, we may not even be aware of, but we certainly wouldn't vocalize it, but the shift that happens within our lives when our prayer life decreases and our self-sufficiency increases is we limit the access to our lives that we give God. And it's subtle. And because prayer is a difficult process and because it's a difficult theme, it's easy to do. And yet, in the absence of prayer, there becomes more self-sufficiency. And when there is more self-sufficiency, there is less dependence upon God. And when there is less dependence upon God, there is just naturally that much more dependence upon me, on my desires, on what I want to do. So let us, let us be people of prayer. Let us engage that discipline, as difficult as it is. And may we, as we grow in that discipline, as we engage in our times of prayer with God, may we extend beyond ourselves, beyond our own wants, beyond our own needs, beyond our own desires, and may we incorporate the needs, the wants, the desires of those around us. Because when we do, we become unified. When we become unified, we become an amazing force to accomplish God's will. I know it's difficult. I know there are times it feels like it makes no difference you pray? Just this week, if if you're at a place where you're like, you know, I don't. I don't. Here's my challenge. This week, give it five minutes a day. And it doesn't even have to be five minutes all at one point in time. You just give God five minutes that you're going to communicate with him in prayer. And you ask God to start to show you something or to start doing something in your life. just start and I promise you this you will be amazed you will be amazed at what God will reveal to you or the doors that God will open to you let's make sure we're people of prayer we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. This week I was at a funeral of a man who was a believer in Jesus, a strong believer in Jesus. And I looked around as I had the opportunity to do the funeral, and I looked around and I just saw the relief, I saw the comfort, and I saw the hope. I saw the hope in heaven. I saw that in spite of the loss, that the words of 1 Thessalonians 4 could be lived out, that yes, we grieve. We grieve because of the loss, but we grieve with an aspect of hope. Because we know that death is not the end as a result of what Christ Jesus has done. Make no mistake, our ultimate hope is our hope in heaven. Where we will be united with our Savior. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. The grace of God in truth is the message of his son Jesus. The reason we have hope in heaven is because of of God's love for us. In spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of the fact that God's a holy God, and the cost of our sin is death, the physical death and a spiritual death, the spiritual death manifests itself in eternity, spent apart from God in a place the Bible calls hell. That is the penalty of our rebellion. That is the penalty of our sin. And the Bible tells us that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And that's what we deserve, hopelessness. And yet, how can we have hope? How can we look towards heaven with hope? What can we cling to? The penalty is death. But God's gift in something called grace is this, that God loves us in spite of our rebellion so much that he sent his son, Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, who lived a perfect life. And he put upon himself my sin, my penalty, my rebellion. And he died upon a cross for me. And three days later, he rose again victoriously. This is our hope, not in and of ourselves, not us. Our hope is in what Jesus has accomplished on our behalf, his death for me, his resurrection proving that he was victorious. And we can live with hope. And that is the message that if you're a Christ follower needs to spur your entire life on. That you have been transformed. That you have hope. That you are a new creation because of what God has done within you. And we need to just be vigilant and just be constant in that. There was an individual who was, when it radically changed his life. And his name was Epaphras. And he went and he heard the story of what Jesus had done for him. And he gave him his life and he went back to his town. And he just started proclaiming that truth to people. and a church grew in this house because when people heard it they responded and they gave their lives to Jesus and having that in common they became brothers they became sisters they became the church and that's where the church at Colossae started That's why we have this letter. Because Epaphras' life was changed. And he was faithful to what God has commissioned all those who follow him to do. That he go and he tell people his story. He tell people what Jesus has done for him. And now we see a church. Church. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. You want to be like Epaphras? You want to share the hope that you have? Maybe you don't know how. Maybe you don't know where to start. Maybe you're just scared. Maybe you look at it like a daunting task, and you're not fully certain of how you should go about this. I would challenge you to look at the model of Epaphras right here and just follow suit. And when they, the believers here at the Church of Colossae, think about, think about Epaphras, what do they think of? The fact that he's a faithful servant and loving. You want to reach people for Jesus? Be faithful and be loving. You want to impact those around you? Be faithful and be loving. Be people who are faithful and loving. And that will buy you influence. And utilize that influence to share the hope that you have. Challenge you be faithful and loving people, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Church, the point of knowledge, the point of spiritual knowledge is application. The point of knowledge is application. When I had my temporary license at 15 and a half years old, learning to drive was an adventure I wasn't sure my parents would live through. And by God's grace, they're still here. I had my father go out with me and attempt to teach me maneuverability one time. After that, it became my mother's job. After we had spent some time in Ellet High School putting little dents in his Honda Accord, he decided it was time to drive back. I'd hit enough cones for the day. And so as I was pulling out of the parking lot, I turned onto Canton Road. And as I did, I was driving along. And all of a sudden, my father, you have to understand, he was not a good, he was not a good driving instructor. My father is a great man. I love him dearly. He may be the worst driving instructor ever. In in a four-lane road, I would be on one of the inside lanes, and he'd be yelling about mailboxes, that we were almost going to clip the mailboxes, never mind the fact we had an entire lane to our right. There was no way we were going to hit any mailboxes whatsoever. The man was just a little tense. And so as we were driving along on Canton Road, he just starts screaming, You ran through that! And I'm like, Oh, Father's just overreacting again. And I'm like, You don't know what you're talking about! And he's like, Pull around. Pull pull around. And so we pull into a parking lot. And he says, There is a blinking red light that you just ran through. And I'm like, No, there's not. He's like, Go back here, go down the road a quarter mile, get back on Canton Road. Sure enough, I do exactly that. I'm driving along. He starts screaming again. I'm like, what is your problem? He's like, you just ran through it again. I'm like, no, I didn't. He's like, turn into the parking lot. We turned into the parking lot. We pulled into a different spot in the parking lot. He said, put the car in park. We put the car in park. He said, what is that right in front of us? I said, a blinking red light. He said, do you see the fact now that it is blinking in the road and you just ran through it twice? I said, it wasn't blinking at the time. So pull out. Get on the road. We're doing this again. And I turn on Canton Road. And I'm driving along, and he just throws his hands out like this, and he looks at me, and he says, just drive home. That's the third time. <laughs> now, before I got my temporary license, I had to take a test, as does everybody. It's about 20 qu- it was about 20 questions at the time. And one of the questions on the test at the time was, what do you do at a blinking red light? And I got that question right on the test. You stop. See, the problem wasn't my lack of knowledge of what to do at a blinking red light. My problem was noticing it and putting it into practice. And might I suggest, the vast majority of the problems that we have as Christ followers is not due to our lack of knowledge. It's due to the fact that we know we just don't do anything about it. When we are judged before God, when we give an account of our lives. I don't believe that there's going to be a doctrine quiz. What does the New Testament tell us? That knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And this is not to say that biblical knowledge is not important. Don't misunderstand me. It is a foundation upon which we can come to the place where we understand what Jesus has done for us. But knowledge is not the problem. Our behavior is. And spiritual maturity is defined by behavior, not intellect. So what are you doing with the knowledge you have? Because if it makes no difference in how you live your life, then it's useless. The point of knowledge is application. I mean, just look at this. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, bearing fruit in every good work. Action, action, action. And then, after you've got the action part down, then what? Then learn more. And increasing in knowledge. The problem that we see in a lot of churches is not a lack of knowledge. The problem that we see with a lot of Christ followers is not the fact that they don't know. problem is they don't do anything about it. The point of knowledge is the application. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience. With joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints and light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the benefit of following Jesus Christ. This is the joy that is ours as Christ followers. This is the transformation that happens within us the new creations that we become at the point that we follow Jesus, that we are strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might, that we have endurance, that we have patience, that we have joy, that we give thanks to God, that we share in his inheritance because of the work of Jesus, because we are no longer viewed as sinners once we receive what Jesus has done for us. But we are seen as God's sons and daughters. That we have been delivered from sin. That sin no longer has mastery over us, it no longer wins. That Jesus wins. And we've been transferred to his kingdom. Redeemed. And forgiven people. And church, that's what it's all about. Oh, that we would be people like Epaphras. Who come to a place where we know what God has done for us. And then we go. We live it out so that those who come into contact with us and those around us become new creations when they give their lives to Jesus. Oh, that we would be like Epaphras and we would just take delight in the joy and the hope of what God has done for us. That we would put into practice the things from God's word that we have learned. And it wouldn't be all about just acquiring more knowledge. But with zeal, we would go about conducting our lives in a way that we bring God honor and glory. I wish I could make that decision for every single person. I wish I could make the decision for each and every one of you to be a Christ follower. And yet I can't. And I know that there's a very real battle. And maybe it's because you just don't have enough knowledge yet. We all started there. That's okay. Maybe you don't know enough about what Jesus has done and who Jesus is for you to make that decision, to give him your life. Maybe you have all the knowledge in the world and there's just within you this battle. Do I believe it? Do I want to believe it? Can I believe it? And there's this tension within your soul as you struggle with where you stand. Maybe you're a Christ follower and you're just, you're just at the point. Where you're just struggling. You just don't know. I was captivated last week when I heard the new Mumford and Sons song. Not because it provides answers. But because it doesn't. And the hard reality of life is that you can't make up anyone's mind or decision for them. You can only make up your own. so while we play this song, I want you to whisper a prayer. Maybe it's a prayer of thanksgiving for what God's done in your life. Maybe it's a prayer for a son or a daughter, maybe a spouse, a parent, that you just wish that they would believe. Or maybe it's a prayer for you that you just don't know. And you just would ask God to reveal himself to you and give you clarity to help you believe.
0: You may call it in. But you've only lost the night Preset all your pretty feelings May they comfort you tonight And I'm climbing over something And I'm running through these walls I don't even know if I believe I don't even know If I believe I don't even know If I believe Everything you're trying to say to me I'm gonna have to guess what's on your mind
1: those of you who are there who just don't know, my prayer for you is that God would reveal himself. And for those of you that do, my prayer for you is that you would be Epaphras, that through your love, your faithfulness, through your actions, You would model with your life and then later with your words the hope that you have through Jesus. In a minute, I'm going to pray. And, and you're, if you're here today and you're just not sure, we're so glad you're here. We're just going to ask in a minute. We're going to do something that, that's just, just for people who are Christ followers, though, and, and just just pass it on by. And it's okay. Nobody's going to judge you or think anything different. But what we're going to do is something called communion. And this is just a time for those who've made the decision to follow Jesus, for those that do believe, that we just think of what Jesus has done for us. The fact that we are sinners and yet God loves us, so He died on a cross for us, and His body, His flesh was broken, and His blood was spilled because of my sin, so that I could have hope in Him. And so I'm going to pray, and then they're going to make their way down, and they're going to pass some communion. And then we'll take it together at the end of this song. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, who paid the price, who died on the cross for us and, and rose again. And God, I pray for those who are here that for whatever reason, aren't sure. Maybe it's they haven't heard, or maybe it's they've heard and they just can't fully grasp it. And God, I just pray that you would just reveal to them the truth of who you are and your love for them and what you've done. God, I pray that they would cross over from death to life. And I pray, God, even even maybe right at this minute, in their hearts, they would just say, God, I've seen it. And I'm a sinner. And I need you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus, who died on the cross for me, for my sin. And God, who rose again. So I want to give him my life, I want to live for him. God, for those who've already made that declaration. pray that they would live lives that indicate it. That they would be invested in those who need you. God, through their life and through their conduct and then through their words that they would have an impact for your glory. Thank you for saving.